card, make your way in as soon as possible. But for the rest of us, it's time to start. We want to welcome everyone watching us by live stream. We're very honored to have you. We want to bless you. We want to welcome to everyone here that is with us this morning. We want to encourage you. Say it with me. Share the stream. Oh, we can do better than that. Share the stream. There we go. There we go. Just say this. Jesus. Come on. Jesus has something good for me today. You have to have expectation. Let the Lord meet you at the center of your expectation. Let the hunger be there. The Lord fills and drives and moves towards the hunger. So we're doing John chapter 8. Finished up John chapter 7 last week. Going to break our way through John chapter 8. It's a very famous story. And by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to do the very best I can to teach you this morning. So John chapter 8, verse 1, just to start there, I'm going to go through verse 11. It says, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. Then he came to the temple and, and began to teach. And people came to him, and they sat down with him. And he sat down, and he began to teach the people. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman who was caught in adultery. And they, they set her, or literally pushed her, into, his, into the midst. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law set, command us that she should be killed. But what do you say? They said this, testing him, that they might have something to, which to accuse him on. But Jesus stooped down on the ground, and with his finger he began to write in the dirt, as though he did not hear. So they continued to ask him, and he raised himself up, and he said, The one that is without sin... Let them throw the stone first. And then he stooped back down to the ground and began and continued writing. Then those who heard him being convicted in their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman was standing in, the, was standing in his midst. And when Jesus raised himself up, he looked at her and said, Woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No, Lord. And he said, Then neither do I condemn you. Amen? Nobody like Jesus. So there's a couple principles here I want to draw out first. The first thing I want you guys to see, it's like you can see, like, so Jesus is emulating things to us. He's the prototype of the, divine, of the new creation. So we are to become as him. He became as us. And there's just things that you see with his life that are probably keys that are often overlooked. One of them is, say this with me, setting the morning. Come on, set the morning. Say it with me, set the morning. So he gets up in the morning, he goes to the Mount of Olives, and he begins to pray. Well, what's he praying for? He's most likely praying over his day. And he's praying for wisdom, for guidance, for direction. Why did Jesus, the Son of God, need that? Because he was reliant upon the Holy Spirit. If you understand the concept, Jesus came down. The Bible says he set aside or he would not access. He never stopped being God. He just stopped accessing his divine attributes. And he became wholly reliant upon the Holy Spirit. Everything he did, the Son of Man does nothing unless he's first told. Son of Man says nothing unless he first hears it. Why? Because he's not God? No, because he's submitted. He came as us. You understand? He was fully God. But he would not access those attributes in and of himself. He drew them from the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it necessitated a communal relationship with the Holy Spirit. So he got up early in the morning, set his day. He goes down into the temple, so he's still in Jerusalem. And he stands up, or he sits down at this point, but he eventually stands up. And they're telling him that he's teaching everyone. Which is, again, another understanding that we have to realize that if Jesus, say it with me, if Jesus is a teacher, come on, help me out. I'm not, I'm not going to lead you any bad places. If Jesus is a teacher... Then I, and I am created by him, then I am created with the need of being taught. He creates us in a fashion that relates to him. And so if one of the roles that he stands in is that of teacher, we need to understand that we need to be taught. We need to be taught the word. Say it with me. I need to be taught the word. Not a word. Not an opinion. Not a rah-rah. I need to be taught the word. Say this, I must develop a high value for the teaching of the word of God. Why is that necessary? Because that's what Jesus did. You see him walk in a temple. He, and all, so say this with me. Signs follow. 
One of the aspects of our church is that signs follow. We don't, I mean, even though we just prayed for a bunch of people here, we pray, we, signs follow. Jesus always led with teaching, and the signs followed the teaching. You understand? He rarely did he lead with signs. He always taught, and then he led with teaching, or he followed, and he followed with signs. And so signs follow. And so Jesus is first and foremost, because a, a, a sign or a prayer or whatever can have an impact upon you for a moment. You can receive an anointing, and you can begin to move forward. But if you don't have the instruction, you don't have the holding power. If you don't have the stability within the soul, you don't have the holding power. One of the things the teaching of the Word of God does with revelation and with power, say it with me, it trains the inner world. And say this, the inner world will always govern the outer world. The Bible says as a person believes, thinks, and perceives in their heart, so are they. Right? And so it's important that we, 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 we learn this and we understand this, that Jesus is a teacher. He has a high value for instruction. He who has ears to hear, what? Let him hear. In other words, if you don't have ears to hear, oh, well, poor you. We need to have ears to hear. And no one makes you have ears to hear. The only one who makes you have ears to hear is you. Is you. Jesus isn't going to make you have ears to hear. It's one of the things that Solomon asked for. He didn't ask for wisdom as we understand wisdom. He asked for a hearing ear. That's what Solomon asked for. A hearing ear that I might govern these people. He didn't ask for some cast of wisdom to where he's just like a data bank of information. He asked that God would give him an ear to hear him. You understand? It's a hearing ear. You have to want that. Nobody, nobody, you know, one of the things that the Bible says is that men in the last days, people won't endure sound doctrine. They don't, people, Christians won't want to be taught. It's one of the apostate signs of the last days is when the church stops teaching the word of God. Not a good thing. It's a famine. The word, Bible says the worst famine in the world is not a famine for bread or a want for water, but it's a famine where the word of God is not taught. It's the transcendent, transformational power of life itself. He framed the world by the word of his power. In other words, the world itself responds to his word. Atmospheres respond to his word. Another story, another day. But we can't allow ourselves to become, you know, it's, it, it's again, it's like people won't endure sound doctrine. They don't want it. They lay up. The Bible says this, they'll heap up for themselves teachers. Heaps and heaps and heaps of teachers who will teach the people only what they want to hear. That's a sign. It's not a good sign, but it's an, a sign of a church that's lost its way. It's the sign of an apostate or a separated or a generation that's going in the wrong way. Yeah? Just a thought, right? So say it with me. Sometimes, sometimes. Now I'm not doing that necessarily this morning, but sometimes, sometimes. I'm going to hear some things that I don't want to hear. I want you to say this. Where there is no challenge, there is no change. Right. And so Jesus is teaching. They go and find this woman. And the Bible says this. The word is pushed. So Jesus is teaching. Can you imagine? He's got people around him. Jesus is standing there talking. All of a sudden, boom. They push this woman right into the midst of him. He's a little bit like, hey, what's going on here? And they're like, oh, oh, teacher, teacher. Oh, oh, oh. Good teacher. Help us sort this dilemma out. We found this woman in adultery. In fact, she was committing the very act. Now that leads to a whole bunch of questions. Like, A, where's the dude? Number one. Second thing would be, like, are you guys peeping Toms? I mean, like, seriously, how did you come around and pull this one off, right? But they didn't bring the guy, they only brought the woman, which most likely means it was set up. Another story. It was no man, just her, pushes him forward. Help us with this dilemma. They weren't really interested in solving the dilemma. They were interested in pinning Jesus to the wall, right? So you say you're God. You claim to be God. You, 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 you witness all around as if you're God come down. So help us parse out the issue between God's justice and God's mercy. Solve this eternal theological problem. It was a very massive question they were asking. And so not only were they asking this question, they had actually thought this one out. They sat down and mapped that out. How are we going to get this guy? I know. Let's juxtapose or let's set him right in the middle between mercy and justice. And let's see where he goes. If he says justice, then all these loyal 
sinners that are around him, right? They're gonna have, he's going to have to answer them. And so he's going to lose the favor of the crowd. If he goes with mercy, well, then he's denying the law of Moses. And surely we're going to have him there. So they thought they had him. And they shoved this woman right into the way. They were not interested in the law. They were not interested in the consequences of the law. They themselves were adulterers. Jesus said, if you lust in your heart, you're an adulterer. He'd already told them that. In other words, what's the, what's the, what's the deal with that? We're all sinners. That's the point. You know, we're all sinners. They're acting like they're not. They're acting, like the, the word judgment is katakrino, to speak down upon. And so they're acting like the katakrinos of the world, where they could speak down on everybody because they were so elevated. Right? They were above everyone. They were murderers in their heart. They wanted Jesus dead. They weren't interested in the law. They were simply interested in taking away who he is, trying to shame him, pin him to the wall, trying to get him in a position where he can't get out of. So they were trying to set him up. You don't set up Jesus. I don't know. I, I, don't know, I don't know when they give up on this, man. They keep going and going and going and going, and he just blasts them out of the water every single time. But they keep coming, right? They want more? Jesus is like, okay, I got more, you know? Say it with me. Jesus never participated in their system. Israel was given God's word, given God's ways, given God's covenant, given, a, given an opportunity to have relationship with the living God based upon a process of uh, sacrifices and there were certain things that they were to do, rituals that they were to do within this relationship. Jesus has fulfilled the, the rituals. Jesus has fulfilled the law. We don't have to go through all of that anymore, but they did. But the Jews, in particular the Pharisees and the scribes, had taken it upon themselves to complicate the simplistic. Anytime somebody's trying to complicate the simple, they made it so complicated, right? So they had added rules upon rules upon rules upon rules upon rules. And Jesus never participated in their system. They had rules for washing of hands. Do your disciples eat with unclean hands? Jesus is like, yeah, we do. Two tacos right over here. He starts, you know what I'm saying? And this wasn't a sanitary thing. This was a ritual thing. The Jews had a ritual that, and I've been there. I've been there with actually Jeremiah. You went, you went to that, that pizza place in North Miami. You went there with your dad. And you go in the back and they're like, oh, this has got really good pizza. It's kosher pizza. And I'm kind of like going, I'm not sure kosher and pizza go together. You know what I'm saying? But hey, whatever. We walk in and they walk me to the back and there's somebody standing in the back and there's a line and I'm like, what's the line for? And they the line was to wash your hands. But there was no soap involved. It was turn your hands like this, turn your hands like this, turn your hands like this. So they pour the water over my hands like this, they pour the water over my hands like this, and they pour the water over my hands like that. Had nothing to do with sanitary. It had to do with ritual. And so they had created rituals that had nothing to do with what God was saying. And so that's what they were doing. And he's like, you don't wash your hands? No, I don't go through your rituals. No, I don't, I don't dance to your tune. That's another thing, healing on the Sabbath. You heal on the Sabbath? Jesus is like, that's right, stretch out your hand. You eat on the Sabbath? Jesus is like, that's right, we eat on the Sabbath. Boom. Sabbath was not made for man. Man was, made, the, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for, the, for man. And I am Lord of the Sabbath. You put rules where I didn't put them. You put regulation where I didn't put them. And I don't play your game. I'm not on your agenda, and I most certainly am not subordinate to you. That's what he was saying. They knew what he was saying. They knew exactly what he was saying, and they sizzled like bacon, man. They're like, ooh, this guy's got to die. we got to get rid of this guy. He's threatening our system. He's threatening the control. He's calling it out. He's exposing our hypocrisy. He's showing us that we're loyal to our own words and not loyal to the Lord. He's showing us that we give accolades to one another, but don't serve the people. He's calling it out. Seeking the best place in the marketplaces, right? Wearing the finest robes, flexing, right? Rolling in the chariots, uns, 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 right? <laughs> Dazzling the people, but offering nothing of value unto them. Perfect hair, eight by 10 glossies, all of it, but no service, no sacrifice, no giving of themselves especially, right? That's what he was rebuking. That's what he was correcting. Israel was a religious government, so the power was in the hands of the priests because the priests, had the, they were the gatekeepers. They got to tell you if you were right with God or if you weren't right with God. 
They got to tell you if your sacrifice was acceptable or if it wasn't acceptable. They had had a lot of power. And say this, when power is abused, it's called injustice. And so they were given power, and they turned that power. Power is given to serve. It's the whole point of power. Power in God's economy is not given to dominate. Jesus rebukes the early church in the book of Revelation for a doctrine called Nicoleo. He rebuked them for Nicoleo, which was to dominate the people, to suppress, to harm, to, do, to push down on the people. He, re- he corrected them for that, right? That was one of the things. There was another couple of things he corrected them for, but that was one of them. These guys were masters of Nicoleo. He said, you travel the world to get one convert. As soon as you get one guy to, come to, one, one guy to convert, you make him twice the child of hell as you are. You make his life worse than it was before. How'd you like that? Hey, come to Jesus. He'll make your life worse. I mean, you got problems now, man. You haven't seen anything until you come to Jesus. It's going to get worse. <laughs> but that's what they would do. They would make it worse. And the people just wanted to serve the Lord, so they would go with this system. They'd be like, okay, well, I guess the priest knows. He's the guy that's telling me this, so I guess this is the way it is. And that's why they left them and flocked to Jesus. They had no idea. They, they, they would drive them nuts. Why aren't these people coming to us for the teaching? Why are they flocking to Jesus? And they would say all these different things. One of the reasons, there's other reasons, but one of the reasons they came to him is because he's talked to them and he was there to benefit them, and he was there to care for them, and he was there to change them, and he was there to call them higher, to call them out, to call them up, and to call them forward. So all of that's the gospel, calling you out, calling you up, and calling you forward, out of a former life, out of the ditch, right? Out of the ditch that you made, out of the ditch that life has made, getting you out of the darkness, out of the ditch, and then calling your life forward. This is the gospel. That's the gospel of the kingdom, you understand? Israel was a religious government, so the priests held the power. Even though they had kings, the priests were always in charge. They held the influence, right? So the priests held the powers. They were the gatekeepers. It was a caste system. It was a caste system with the priests at the top. It's a pretty good deal if you can get it, right? You're at the top. Everybody else is at the bottom. No one was lower in this caste system than women. When you see what Jesus is doing and you see why he is doing it, say it with me, the greatest emancipator of women is Jesus. Nobody sets you free like Jesus. The greatest emancipator of the outcast, the greatest emancipator of the broken, the greatest emancipator or liberator of the, of the unwanted is Jesus. Nobody sets the broken free like Jesus. Nobody values the outcast like Jesus. And he takes women and he elevates their status back to its original design. That's right. That's what he does. And it drove them nuts. Because women in this time, they couldn't vote. They had no rights at all. How'd you like this one, ladies? This sounds like a winner, right? But you see it today. It wasn't just Judaism. I mean, Islam has all these threads. There are castes in India that have all these threads. Same, th- same thing. Places in Africa, all over the world, you see the same type of system. It's demonic at its core. Why is it demonic? The Lord said, I will put enmity between her seed and your seed. Not just through the Messiah, but what he's saying, he's like, this woman's going to be your worst enemy, devil. She's going to be your worst enemy. And he takes those words literal. The question, ladies, is do you? Where's your power? Your power's in prayer. You talk 30% more than the men for a reason. I mean, we just put a fuse on you girls and you just... Every time I look at the prayer group, I'm like, okay, do we got any women in this prayer group? Okay, we're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. I'm good for about five, six minutes. Some of y'all just rain down fire. You're his worst nightmare. Your prayers transcend his world and wreck him. And he knows that. He's always trying to get you to shut up, which you're going to see. One of the things the devil's always trying to get the woman to do is sit down and shut up. Your voice means nothing. You mean nothing. Don't say anything. And he understands that you're his worst enemy. All the men are enemies too. I get get all that. We're victorious and powerful. But he didn't say that this is where the conflict's going to be, that this chick's going to rock your world. He didn't say that, but he did say it to the women. You have to know where your power is. 
That's why he's always trying to manipulate you, always trying to shift you off focus. He's always trying to get in your head and move things around. He manipulates you emotionally a lot of times. A lot of times you don't know who you are and you don't know what's happening to you. Another story, another day. But in this system, women had no rights at all. They could not testify in court. They were not allowed to hold certain jobs. They were not allowed to be property owners. They themselves were considered property. I'm not going to build it out too much, but I'm just giving you the highlights. They were not allowed to be educated beyond a certain point. And what had happened is the Jews, the Jews used the language of the Torah, the language that was written, the way that God wrote the language. You know, and it, The Bible, for the most part, is written in a masculine tone. And it's written towards men. So they said, oh, therefore, God must not be speaking to women. I mean, it's like, dude, really? He's not speaking to women? If you look at Mount Sinai itself, the men and the women presented themselves before the Lord. When you look at the worship in the temple, the men and the women presented themselves before the Lord. There was never any, at any time an exile of women. Jesus didn't, did, where did Jesus make Eve from? Did he make Eve from Adam's head? Come on. Answer's no. All right. Did he make Eve from Adam's foot? So he could step on her. No. Where did he make her from? To be by his side. Equal in every way. Right? Equal in status. Equal in intelligence. Equal in purpose. Complementarian. Right? Each having different strengths, different abilities. They're to work together. Say it with me. The man is to carry the directional influence. The woman is to carry the circumference of influence. Understand that? She surrounds with the wisdom. So a lot of times the woman sees what the guy can't see. And all the ladies said, that's right. Right? And this is what's one of the most frustrating things with women, particularly married women, married Christian women, is when the man has no direction. Because she doesn't activate until there's a direction. You understand? Because hers is not directional leadership. Hers is circumference leadership. It's not that she can't lead directionally. She can't. But really where she just gets fired up is like, boom, oh, there's the vision. Woof. You know? She just starts, you know, spinning. And that's what the Bible calls her, a spinning strength. She just spins with strength. Yeah? That's what you are. That's how God made the woman. It's important, I think, to understand this because it's like a neutering of the, of the church itself. It's like a separation. God doesn't cut off 50% of the power within a relationship. God doesn't cut off 50% of the power within a church. The man and the woman in a marriage is to work together. It's complementarian. You understand? I'm supposed to get the directional leader, and I'm supposed to look at her and go, how are we supposed to do this? You know what I mean? This is where we, are we agreed on this? Yeah, we're agreed. So it's always a communion. This is why this happens. She's like, man, that's not easy. Say it with me. It doesn't have to be easy. I need to be better. That's right. Say this. I need to stop praying that things get easier. And I need to start praying that I get better. It's not about it being easy. you got to get better. It's just going to be easy. It's not easy with this woman. Get better. Get better. It's not easy with this man. It's not easy with this man. You see, he's a Christian. Let's just be that. If he's an unbeliever, there's the door. But if he's not, if he's a Christian... It's not a, you need to be better. Better at what? Circumferal influence. You need to be better at what? Directional leadership. Right? Just another thought. I'm not going to, there's a lot I want to say on that, but I'm not going to. You don't need to, yeah, sure, sure, go ahead, say it. Yeah, go ahead. We got time. We got time. We're, you know, we can go till six. It's not a problem. <laughs> but that's the idea, right? This is the idea. This is the idea in the home. This is God's design. Say it. It's important. To understand God's design so that we can function somewhat properly, right? So we're already dysfunctional. I always like to say this. There's no such thing as perfection. We're already dysfunctional. But at least we can function dysfunctionally. You know what I mean? At least we're functioning in some way even if we're dysfunctional. But if we don't understand, then we're, we're, we're just clueless and we don't have any means by which to actually function. We're just dysfunctional in every way. Everything's dysfunctional. But if we understand how we're made, we understand who we are, we can at least start to function towards that, even if it's dysfunctional. Mumbling, stumbling, tripping over chairs, getting hit by cars, but by God, I'm going forward. You got me? Because you understand how you're made. You understand what you are. You understand the purpose, whatever. That, that's the idea. They use the language of the Torah to exile women. It's nuts. It's nuts. They put women 
outside. Jesus brought them inside. If you look at how Jesus related to women all throughout the New Testament, we just pat this off like, oh, look at Jesus. Oh, look at Jesus. We like, like patronize him. With the, if you really understood what he was doing, he walks right up to the woman at the well, right? So here's the story. He's in Samaria. Samaria was hated. If you went to Samaria, you had to go like bathe for like 11 days. You had to like do all these cleansing rituals according to the Jews if you went through Samaria. Jesus went through Samaria all the time. It was his main road to Jerusalem. They all went by the outside. Jesus went right through Samaria. Your rules, not mine. They called them unclean. Jesus is like, did I call them unclean? Oh, I'm sorry. You know, and he went right there. He's sitting with a woman who's a Samaritan woman. And the disciples are shocked. Why are they shocked? What's so big deal about that? Because Jesus is a rabbi, a respected teacher of Israel at this time, more than a rabbi by far. And, but he's sitting there, and they're like looking like, rabbis don't talk to women, Jesus. I don't know if you're up on the latest memo or not, but rabbis don't talk to women. And they don't talk to Samaritan women. And so Peter's probably looking at him like, are, are you talking to her? And she goes and evangelizes the whole town. They come with a happy meal, and Jesus brings, they, that woman brings the whole town. Said, she's, I found the one I've wanted all my life, and here he is, and I want you all to meet him. <laughs> Amen. Come on. The woman was allowed to be divorced for any reason. So imagine this. They could divorce the woman for any reason at all, and she could not contest it. She was not allowed to contest it. She had no property rights. If the man decided to turn a 40 in for 220s, he did it. He did it. And she had no rights at all. She was literally left to the street. She had about one of three options. She had to return home. She could return home to her family if her family would take her in. Most of the time, the families wouldn't take her in because it was a shame, you know, taking back in your divorced daughter. It was just the way that they had set this system up. Social rejection if you did such a thing. Families that did take in the, the divorced woman or the divorced daughter, you know, they oftentimes moved town or left town. They would move away because of the stigma that was attached to that. So they, they, there was a lot of cost there. The woman was oftentimes, either she did, she was left with nothing, the husband would take it all. There was no alimony. There was no 50%. There was no shared custody. There was none of that. She got nothing. Zero. And so oftentimes these women were left with only after that. They, they didn't have anywhere to go to their family. They were left with one of two choices. They either had to beg or they had to go into prostitution because they weren't allowed to do anything else, right? And that's why you see, that's why there's prostitution all over Israel. Everywhere Jesus is going, boom, prostitute, boom, prostitute, boom, prostitute. And where were the prostitutes out? They were with the tax collectors. And why were the pat, pat prostitutes with the tax collectors? Because those were the guys that had money. They were the ones who had money. They had money. And so the woman was looking for safety and security. The system had exiled them. The system had told them unwanted. The system had stained them. And they take this woman, and they bring her to Jesus, and they shove him right in his face. Right? They knew there was prostitution. When Jesus, is in the, when Jesus is at the tax collector's house, the prostitute comes in and starts to cry, and tears are falling on his feet, and she's wiping her hair with her tears. And the Pharisees are sneering at him, like if he's a true prophet... He would know what kind of woman this is. He'd know who she is. And he looks at Jesus, nosing, knowing their thoughts. He said, Simon, when I came into your house, you paid me no honor. He said, when I, paid, when I came into your house, you didn't wash my feet. You didn't care for me. You barely made a place for me to sit down, Simon. But yet this woman has not ceased to pay me honor. She's not ceased. to. She, wipes, she washes my feet with her tears and dries her hair, my feet with her hair. I did not come for, this, for the righteous, Simon, or those who think they're righteous. A physician, though sick, have no need of the physician, or the well have no need of the physician. He wasn't well. He was well in his own understanding. Resulted in prostitution. It was a caste system with the women at the bottom. Jesus never submitted to that system. You see him in the court of the women. No Jew hung out in the court of the women. Jesus did. There's, in fact, ready to say it with me. There is no such thing mandated or ordained in the Bible called the court of the women. Not once. They created it. Second temple created it. In the tabernacle with Moses, no court of the women. Women could come and go, right? 
First temple was Solomon. No court of the women. Women could come and go. Second temple, oh, no, no, we got to do something about these women, man. We got to do something. And they created the court of the women. Now, and there's another temple going to be built, the Ezekiel's temple. And, there's, and it's noticed, if you look at Ezekiel's temple, there's no court of the women. Because God gives the design and says, this is what the future temple would be like. And there's no court of the women. There's no separation. Just like, who told you that? I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> she got nothing. Jesus hangs out in the court of the women. He's sitting there, you know, having a latte, watching everybody come into worship. And Peter's probably like, man, can we get out of here, dude? You know, I don't need anybody taking a picture of me. I don't need anybody taking a picture of me in the court of the women. I'm going to have to ask all the boys. All the boys are going to be asking me, why are you hanging out in the court of the women? No man hands out in the court of the women. Jesus hung right out there. We know this as a fact because that's where the treasury was and that's what he was watching. He wasn't, he was in the court of the women watching the givers. That's what they would do. They would give and then go to the, the men with the men, the manly men would go into their zone. In the New Testament, Jesus restores women to her Edenic position. In the scripture, God created man, a male and female. He created them equal. Say it with me. Male and female were created equal in value and worth in intelligence, in purpose, in direction, and inheritance. We're different. N nobody's going to sit up here and argue that we're not different. We're different, right? This transgender stuff needs to be answered right here. He created them male, and he created them female. He didn't create them confused. Jesus never created you confused. Why are people confused? Because they're broken. Because the soul cannot handle, and the soul breaks down when it's abused, the soul breaks down when it's abandoned, and the soul breaks down when it's neglected. And so there's a breakdown within the soul, which leads to confusion. And most often, the confusion always relates to our gender. We're broken at our identity. That's, that's really where the fracture comes. If the devil can fracture you at your identity, all bets are off. You'll go any different way. All the voices will tell you who you are. Everybody will tell you who you are. You'll tell yourself who you are. You don't want to tell yourself who you are. You don't want anybody else telling you. You want Jesus to tell you who you are. That's what you want. You don't want any other voice. You don't want to subordinate yourself to a lesser voice. You, see, you yield to Jesus and Jesus alone. She's equal. We're not, say it with me, male and female are not to compete. They are to complete. That's the idea. It's not a competition. It's a completion. Say that's hard. Exactly. It's extremely hard. Sparks fly <laughs> iron on iron i don't need it easier i need to get better got me i don't need an easier circumstance i don't need a different wind i need to have the, have the lord give me the wisdom to set the sail in the right place got me you don't need it easier you need to get better stop crying sucking your thumb wanting it easier cut it out ask to get better Develop, self-develop, become that person, become who you need to walk through storms. Get the skill set, change the thinking, change the habits, become better. Amen? Amen? All right. Proverbs 31, I don't know how they missed this. She owns land. She owns, this woman runs a business in Proverbs 31 and she takes care of her house. But they didn't, that didn't matter to them. You know, David, uh, Solomon wrote the Proverbs. So here's a woman who owns property, has her own money, runs a business, and takes care of her house. She makes the bacon, takes it home, fries it up in a pan, and never lets him forget he's a man. That's basically what that kind of woman is right there. So what I want to touch on this morning, I'm going to do my best to bring this out, because this does definitely relates to modern day. It doesn't just relate to modern day in the culture. It relates to modern day in the church. Almost nowhere is, you know, the church is actually... Uh, a lot of the viewpoints that we hold are, um, what word do I want to use, Lord? Um, oh, I don't want to use it. Okay. I don't want to use this word. Misogynistic against women. In other words, suppressive to women. A lot of the views. Anybody been around church for any long time, you're going to know that. We want the woman to sit down and shut up. We want them to fold her hands. We want her to be a Barbie. We don't need her influencing. We don't need her talking. We don't need her leading. And we definitely, most definitely, don't need her teaching. Well, who told you that? So I'm going to use the two verses, and I'm going to break this down, and then we're going to close on this story with the woman, at the, the woman caught in adultery. So the question would become, can women teach in church? This becomes the issue, right? We've had people go, women can't teach in church and leave, you know? I'm like, well, that's, 
Christian dumb. And we've had people online, I believe the King James Bible in my Bible says that women cannot teach in church. Everybody say it with me. Let's break it down. That's right. Let's break it down. Let me give you the, I'm going to read you the verses. I'm going to make you really uncomfortable, and then I'm going to talk about it. Just the way it works around here, right? Makes it work. So 1 Timothy 2, Paul's talking to Timothy. He says, let a woman learn in submission with all silence. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over the man, for, but she must learn in silence. For Adam was created first, then Eve. Then the second verse that lays into this that, they, that the doctrine is built on is 1 Corinthians 14. Let a woman keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law says. And if they learn something, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. <sighs> like, where does he get that? Two things. Number one, you got to understand who's talking here. This is Paul. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisee. In other words, he was one of those guys. He was this caste that surrounded Jesus, these leaders that surrounded Jesus. When Paul came to Christ, Jesus sent him away for three years to chill him out, okay? Paul's murdering Christians. These guys only are thinking about murdering. Paul's doing it. And he's like, I want temple letters that give me the permission to seize the property of the, church, of the Christian. I get to seize their property, and I get to kill them if they resist. That's the temple letters Paul got. Road to Tarsus, Jesus appears and it's like, Saul, what are you doing, dude? Right? He was on a road. He's a murderous rampage, killing Christians. He says, I'm the worst of all sinners. I not only killed them myself, I stood by and did nothing while they were murdered, approving of their murder. This is how zealous this guy was. He comes to Jesus and Jesus is like, yeah, man, I'm glad you're here, Paul. I've got great plans for you, but I'm going to have to put you in timeout for a little bit because we need to chill you out. And you need to go and relearn. Everybody say it with me. Relearn. The Bible says three years in Arabia, Paul went. Three years. Everybody thinks that Paul came to Christ and started preaching sanctimoniously, glorious Paul, as if he's Jesus himself. The Holy Spirit used him. He's an author. His word is inspired of God. But not everything. Not everything? No, Paul. Say it with me. Paul learned as he went. He's coming, out of, he's coming out of Judaism. He's carrying with him a lot of baggage of Judaism. And if you study Paul's life, you'll see that he changed, not on the personhood of Jesus Christ, but on the things that he said. You see him in the book of Acts, and he's circumcising Timothy. Anybody know the story? The book of Timothy. He meets Timothy. Timothy's mother's Jewish. His father's Greek. Timothy's not circumcised. And he, Paul's worried about what the religious leaders will think. And so he's like, Timothy, you've got to be circumcised. And Timothy's like, dude, I'm 24. Really? He's like, no, man, you got to do it. And he's like, oh, man, come on. And Paul's like, don't worry, I'll do it myself. I'd be like, have you ever done this before? No, but I'm willing to learn. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So the Bible says Paul circumcised Timothy out of the fear of the Jews. Then you see him later in the New Testament, and he says circumcision is nothing. It's meaningless. Outward circumcision is not necessary to fulfill the requirements of the law. That was his statement. So which one is it? Which one is it? Is, it? is circumcision necessary or is circumcision not? No, Paul's on a journey here, and he realizes that what I thought was right is no longer right. What I thought was no longer is. Then you see him fulfilling vows and keeping sacred days in the New Testament. He had to get to Jerusalem by a certain day because he was going to shave his head to fulfill a Nazarite vow. He had to be in Jerusalem at Pentecost because he had made a Nazarite vow, all this is Judaism, and to shave his head. Later in life, what you see, what you see later in the Gospels, is Paul is saying, no day means anything. Every day is as unto the Lord. Well, which is it, Paul? Is it the days that we got to observe, or is it every day is unto the Lord? What happens? He's learning He's learning. He's making statements here, and I want to give them to you in context. Say this with me. Context on this is necessary. So he's instructing Timothy that women shouldn't teach. What's his context? He gives Both of these have context. How do I learn this? I was praying one time. My wife would always push me. So, okay, full disclosure, full disclosure, full disclosure. I come from, both traditions I come from, taught the opposite of what I'm teaching. 
right? And even those who agree that women should teach in church, no one has ever done an exegesis on it. No one has ever really done a theological perspective that we can actually prove this out in the text. They're all just saying, well, God's using her. Well, God's using her. Yeah, God's using her, but where is it, where is it in Scripture? I'm going to show you, right? It's right there. So I'm talking to the Lord. You know, how many know? I'm not, I'm not married to a kitten. I don't know if you all know that. I mean, she's, she's a kitty cat sometimes, but this woman roars. I'm talking, she's a strong woman, right? And she would always challenge me on my views of women in the church. And I would always be like, oh, well, this, and I didn't have an oppressive view, but it was just the traditional view. And I never really looked at it. And she's always pushing me to take a bigger, she's using what? Her influence to challenge my what? Directional leadership. You see it right there? You see what I'm talking about? So she's trying to influence me so that I can see something differently. So I start reading this, and I'll go back, and I'll let a woman silence. You know, I'm talking. I'm praying to the Lord, trying to ask the Holy Spirit, okay, you got to show me something here because I don't see anything. For I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Like, it's pretty clear. Holy Spirit says to me, read on, Kevin. <laughs> so I read what most guys don't do. You, they read the next verse. Read the next verse. For Adam was created, then Eve. So Paul's context for denying women the right to speak is creation. When, say this one, I want you to answer this question. When did Eve become subordinate to Adam? When? When? Come on, somebody knows. Don't be afraid. Just say Jesus. That's the right answer. At the fall, Eve was equal to Adam. Equal in position, status. God called them both Adam. Man and woman, right? This is how God sees them. As one. Ehad. Ehad. It's the very expression of his nature. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Ehad. I'm Father, Son, and Spirit. I am three, but I am one. Right? Male and female are two, but they are one. And so God called both of them Adam. Male and female, and he called them Adam. So he goes back. So there was an equality there. Eve became, so I'll read it for you. It's Genesis 3. It says, uh, when Eve fell, he says, your desire, your longing will be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. Is Eve still under sin? In Christ, are you under sin, ladies? No. no. Let, me ask the, let me ask this other one. In Christ, are you still under sin? No. You are not. You are restored to Edenic status. It is the restoration of the Edenic status of the woman. She's restored. She's no longer subject or subordinate to the man. Sorry. Sorry. Is everybody free from sin? All the men are free from sin, but the woman, by God, she's still under the curse of sin, and she still lies in subjection to the man, which is the curse of the fall. Is she under that curse, or is she not? She's not. So what is her role? Her role is identic status, equal, value, worth, power, position, authority, direction, inheritance, equal, not less than, equal. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. All are one in Christ. Positionally, she's been restored. Second one, here's Paul's second argument. He says, let women keep silence in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. They are to be submissive as unto the law. So context one is creation. That, that doesn't hold water. Context two is the law. Are we redeemed from the curse of the law? Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law or the oppression of the law. Are women in Christ under law? No. no. Only the men are free from the law. And you women, you're still under the curse of the law. If you see how he's talking, he's speaking out of his Pharisee background. That's where he's speaking from. What's interesting is if you watch Paul on this note, and this is a fascinating thing to watch, if you watch what Paul's saying here, he's saying it very early on. His later letters, Paul must have had an aha moment. You know, I could have had a V8 and realized what was going on with him. Because in the book of Romans alone, he names seven female leaders of the church. Seven. Romans 16, he lists seven women that are leaders in the church, right? It gets better. Wait, there's more, right? He misses three. That's only in Romans. There are three more. There's a woman. He, well, I'll read them for you. Where are they? I'll give them to you. Uh, Phoebe, Prisca, Mary, not Mary, Jesus' mother, but a different Mary, Junia, Trephinia, uh, Trephosa, and Persia. Those are all the female leaders of the Roman church. Roman church leaders 
Pliny, okay, this is history. I'll give you history too. 114 AD, 100 years after, about 70 years after the resurrection of Christ, Pliny the Younger, because the church was spreading like fire in, in Turkey. And so the Roman governor's like, oh my gosh, I got to find out what's going on. Bring me the leaders. And, there were, and the leaders that they brought were all women. So to say the, the women, yes, exactly, exactly. My wife challenged me with another question because she's using her circumferal influence to challenge my direction of leadership. She challenged me with another question in between services, so I tried to do a better job this service with what I'm trying to say here. When did he become subordinate to Adam? At the fall. Is she still under the fall? No. What is his other context that women are to be subjected to men and to be silent? Because that's what the law says. Hey, ready? Ready? First of all, ladies, the law doesn't say that. There is nothing in the law of Moses or the Talmud that tells the woman to be quiet. Then where does he get that from? He gets it from the Mishnah, which is the oral law of the Jews, which they considered part of the law. So what he's saying, he's not drawing that from text. He's drawing that from oral tradition, that women are to be silent. So where did that come from? Well, that didn't come from Jesus. Because the, the Logos is what comes from Jesus. The written word is what comes from Jesus. He's drawing it from the Mishnah. The Old Testament never tells the woman to sit down and shut up. Ever. Uh, say it with me. Ever. ever. It's, it's true. But yet we, we, we still hold on to these things as if they're true. Right? We still allow this facade. Because the enemy continues to try to suppress and silence the woman. Dividing the church of 50% of its strength. I know churches that don't allow women in any leadership role whatsoever. Whatsoever. How dumb. How dumb. Like Christian dumb. Right? Just stupid. I don't want to get into that, but I, I could, but I'll keep going. Women are not under law. Pliny brings, all, bring in, brings in all these women. Uh, then we have, do you have that Junia? Do you have Junia's picture? All right, throw them up, throw them up there. Okay, this woman's called Junia. She's mentioned by Paul in Romans 16, right there, Junia. Junia was so revered by the Eastern Church for her apostolic, ready? I know, we're going to choke on this one too. Apostolic, she's mentioned among the apostles. And Junia, who was among the apostles, right? So the argument is, Sherry's like, well, you didn't really show where women teach. And you were talk about where women teach. And I'm like, okay, I'll do better with that. This is Junia. This is an uh, Orthodox icon. She holds a codex in her hand. And anytime someone's doing this, they're, they're, they're teaching. That's what they're doing. So all of the, if you ever see an icon or an image, you'll see Jesus doing this. He's usually holding up three fingers, you know, Trinity. But, they're all, but most of the old images, like the icons, they're always holding their hand up. If they're holding their hand up, it means they're teaching. So when the teachers would speak, they would, they would do this. You know, on my honor, I will do my best to do my duty to God and my country. Anyway, all the Boy Scouts in the room said, hey, I know that, you know. So they would, they would hold their hand up to signify that they're instructing. You understand? And so she's holding up an instructional uh, symbol. Throw another one up there. Here she is again, right? There's Junia again, holding the cross of Christ. And what, it, what is she doing? What's the symbol she's making? She's teaching. That's a teaching symbol. You understand? Throw up another one. Right? There she is again, holding up the cross of Christ. And what's she doing? She's making a teaching symbol. She's teaching. Okay? You with me? Oh, we don't want to hear that. Oh, no. Oh, we can't hear that. Ha, hoo, ha, ha, ha. I, you know what I was taught? I'll tell you how stupid we are. And first of all, full disclosure, I had to repent of this. And I'm still repenting of these stupid things. I mean, I don't know where I got it. I was like, do you hear yourself talk, Kevin? I didn't say this, but this is what was taught me. I'd always be like, well, why can't women teach? Well, when women teach men, men become boys. My wife will be in the back nodding her head going, yeah, I've heard that one. When, men teach, when women teach men, men become boys. That's the argument. And I'm like, well, they teach in school, don't they? And, and they teach in university, don't they? 60% of all college professors these days are women. Six out of ten. Most of you have been to school. Most, you, you, you've had, if you've got ten classes, you probably got at least half are women teachers. Anybody with me? And they're like, well, they're, and I'm like, well, they're teaching children. That's, they're not children. They're teaching master's programs and Ph.D. programs, and those people are well into their 20s. Those aren't kids. And so if the church holds that position, you better vacate all of your teachers from your Christian universities. Any female teacher, if you hold that position, that women can't teach men, which is absolute stupidity, Right? 
then you better tell every female college professor at Christian universities, if that's the doctrine and that's the teaching of your church, you better tell them, oh, I'm sorry, we can't do this anymore because we're breaking our doctrine. And we're going, but it's not true. It's not true. Lydia was a wealthy woman. The three that Paul omitted, Lydia, amazing woman. Lydia, you'll like this one. Lydia was a fashion designer. She was a, she was a trader and a, and a user in purple garments. Purple was an extremely rare dye, and only the kings wore it. Only the rich could wear purple. And Lydia was loaded. She was extremely loaded. Paul meets her at a prayer meeting. This is, I think, how Paul started saying, hey, man, I better, I better change my perspective on this female thing. You know, I'm not making any headway with the dudes. But every time he met women, boom, the gospel exploded. Every time. Ladies circumferal influence. You have influence within the environments in which you are in. Just a thought. You might want to try playing around with that and experiment with that a little bit and getting better at that and trying to figure out what that is. He meets Lydia down by the river. She's praying. She's having a prayer meeting. She's a Jewish woman. There was no synagogue in the city. How do we know? Because the women were at the water praying. If there was a synagogue, Paul would have went to the synagogue. But he shows up and there's no synagogue, so he knows that if there's any Jews in the city, if there's at least 12 Jews, 12 male Jews or 13, I can't remember the number, they have to form a synagogue. So if there's 12 brothers in the house that love Jesus, or at least at this time that follow Judaism, they were required to form a gathering. They were required. But there wasn't. And so he knows there's no synagogue, so the women will be at the water praying. That was the second thing. And so the women would always pray by moving water. So there'd be a prayer meeting. So Paul goes down there, whack, there it is. There's the ladies praying. He meets Lydia, a Jewess, dyer of purple. Why was she living in Greece? Why was Lydia living in Greece? Do you know why? Because she couldn't hold a job in Jerusalem. Because she wasn't allowed to own a business in Jerusalem. And so these Jews would leave, and they were called the Jews of the dispersion. You mentioned it last week. When Jesus says, where I go, you cannot come. And they're like, where is he going to go that we can't come? Will he go to the dispersion of the Greeks and speak to those Jews? She was one of those Jews. Yeah, they didn't want to live in a box. And so she started her own business, her own company. She's over there. She's praying by the water. Paul meets her. Boom. And then Paul leaves. And what does Lydia do? Lydia goes, oh, wow. I'm all in on this Jesus thing. It's like, well, I'm not really a teacher and a preacher. What do I do? Well, I pray. And I minister. And Lydia began to start prayer and ministry houses all over that city. Yeah? She started prayer and ministry houses. And when Paul came to town, she'd take Paul by the arms. Okay, we're going to prayer and ministry house number one. Boom. Don't you get tired on me now, Paul. We got three more houses to go to today. You know? Now, we'll grab some chicken on the way, but don't you get tired on me. And you see Paul going from a place of prayer. Where is he going? He's, he heals and does a deliverance from the place of prayer. What place of prayer? Lydia's place of prayer. He's going to the next place of prayer. So here's a woman who clearly would not survive the constraints of Judaism. There'd be no way they would let her do that in Judah. No way could that woman open up prayer and ministry houses. No way. But she did it. And she lit up, that, she lit, that city got lit up through the prayer and the ministry houses. Paul had very little to do with the evangelism of that city. Very little. No, we think Paul, the great church planner. No, it was Lydia, the church planner here, through prayer and ministry houses. Then you have Chloe. Chloe, the Bible says the household of Chloe. What does that mean? Well, it means Chloe owned property. Something she couldn't do in Israel. Something she couldn't do, especially in Judah. She couldn't own property. So she's a property owner, which means she's a woman of status. And she starts a church in her house. And she's like, well, I don't know. Whatever I got, you know, I'll give it. You know, yeah, y'all can meet here. That's cool. I'm, I'm down with that. And Paul commended her over and over again as Chloe. Phoebe, when Phoebe, was it Chloe or Phoebe? One of them was brought, when, when Paul commends her, he uses a, in the Latin, which is not, I don't always recommend the Latin translation like at all, but the title he gives her is prostasis, which means the one in charge. Yeah. And to Chloe, the prostasis, the one that's in charge. That, that kind of shifts things around a little bit, doesn't it? I'm just, doesn't that shift things around a little bit? Right? Who, you know? And so then lastly, you have uh, Priscilla. Priscilla was an entrepreneurial woman who had an entrepreneurial business with her father, with her, with her husband. Her and her husband had a business, and they worked it together, and they worked it as a mission. They were tent makers with Paul. Paul had a, communion, had a relationship with them. 
Aquila is never mentioned without Priscilla. Every time he mentions Aquila, he mentions his wife, Priscilla. What does that tell you? She wasn't a Barbie sitting on the front row, you know, getting her nails done, you know. She was in the game. She was in the game. He never mentions her without, without her being there. And so you have that, that storyline going on. And she act, they actually became part of Paul's apostolic team so that when Paul would move to another city, what they would do is they'd set up a tent-making business because that's what pe people needed, tents, because they didn't have houses. So there was tents and all kinds of different things that they would be doing. It was an arid place, so people lived in tents. And so they would be there, and when people would come to get a tent, they would start, say it with me, using their business for ministry. They would be ministering out of their business, inviting people. Oh, hey, have you met Paul? Yeah, this is Paul, man. We travel the world. We talk to people about Jesus. You ever heard of Jesus? No, I never heard of Jesus. Boom. Some version of that. They used the business as a ministry, and they went wherever Paul went. There was a certain region where Paul was ministering out of. That's another story. He did a lot of work there. He traveled a lot, but he wasn't always responsible for the church showing up. Paul didn't plant all the New Testament churches. He planted a lot of them, but he didn't plant all of them. Lydia planted a few. Just a thought. She didn't know what she was doing. She said, I don't know what I'm doing. We can pray. Let's pray and intercede and see what happens. Let's just start ministering to each other. Woo, this is good. Hey, why don't you bring the other person here and we'll minister to them too. Yeah, you know what? Let's go down there and bring all the sick here and we'll minister to them too. Hey, we got a prayer house, a ministry house. That's what she was doing. And then Paul comes to town. She's like, well, Paul, you got something to say. We know you're not at a loss for words, so come with us. And Paul's like, okay. You know? been there a few times people were like just 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 say something just just go in there i'm like well what do you want to say i was like i don't know and i was just like okay well let's just talk about jesus that's always a good conversation all right so have i made my point okay trying to make my point no one the only your your limitations are self-imposed ladies not all of you are going to be evangelists not all men are evangelists not all of you are going to be Bible teachers. Not all men are Bible teachers. You understand? You, you get what I'm trying to say? But you are not relegated to a lesser position. You're not. You're not relegated to the lesser position. You're relegated. I share this position equally with my wife, Pastor Sherry. And just by the fact that she's called Pastor Sherry, people get offended. Oh, my God. <laughs> you mean your wife's a pastor? Yeah. Edenic vision, people. The restoration, we practice, we actually practice the Bible. We practice the restoration of the Edenic relationship between God has restored the relationship back in Eden. It's the Edenic relationship of male and female, one to the other. I directionally lead, but I can assure you, she leads in the environment. Uh, the Bible schools and all this other stuff, she's like, what do you want, Kevin? And I'm like, this is what I feel like the Lord is saying. And she just pff, activates it. Yeah? So all this, exactly. Exactly. Not a perfect model of complementarian relationship, but we try. You know, we fight over it all the time. And then we lick each other's wounds. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Can you not go for the eye next time, Sherry? Can you not? You know, just. It's <laughs> the thought. So they come to Jesus and they're like, Moses' law condemns her. I'm going to finish right here. And they say, Moses' law condemns her. And Jesus is listening to him and he kneels down and he starts writing in the dirt as if he didn't hear them. What's he writing in the dirt? There's everybody wants to say what's writing in the dirt. Say it with me. The Bible always interprets itself. So we should know what he's writing in the dirt. <gasps> and we do. Jeremiah 17, 13. Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you, may they be put to shame. May those who turn from you, may their names be written in the dust. So what's he writing? He's writing down their names. The law condemns this woman. It's like, sure does, Chuck. Yeah. Sure does, Brian. Sure does, Pete. The law condemns her. And all sinners, doesn't it? Let anyone here who has no sin throw the rock. And they knew they were sinners. They knew it. They not only knew they were sinners, they knew the other guy's sin. 
They knew that Jim had a drinking problem and couldn't hold his liquor. They knew that. They knew that this guy had a woman problem and couldn't keep his pants on. They knew that. They knew that this guy was robbing from the temple treasury. These are all priests, mind you. These are priests and scribes, the religiously elite that are bringing this guy, and they're ones who are proclaiming themselves righteous, and Jesus writes their names in the earth. They would have known Jeremiah. They would have known exactly what they were doing because they were challenging him on his position as God. What is the rule between justice and mercy if you're God? Jesus is like, oh, yeah. <laughs> writes their name in the earth, and they left. Now, here's the beautiful part. They leave him. I don't want to get into the law, it'll take me too long. The one without sin, far away. So Jesus, after he gets done writing, writing their names down, he stands up, he looks at her. I want you all to say this with me. Woman, mm -hmm. does anyone accuse you? Where are your accusers? Does anyone accuse you? And she says, no. And I want you to say this, Adonai. No, Adonai. And he says, then neither do I. He uses the word woman, right? Been around, been taught. And typically, it's the way this is taught. It will go like this. Woman, where are your accusers? Does anyone accuse you? Then neither do I. And the magnanimous and glorious Jesus turns away. It's not what's being said there. He uses a word called gune. And gune is a term of endearment. Woman. Person of, it means it's a warmth. It also means bride, and it also means princess. So let's just insert that into the language. My bride, does anyone condemn you? Then neither do I. My princess, does anyone condemn you? Then neither do I. Now that changes the context of that story entirely, doesn't it? He's, a he's speaking to her of value and worth. They don't value you, I value you. They want to condemn you. I, they know you can't see value. I see value. This woman didn't look like anybody's bride, right? She's probably her clothes are ripped, you know. She tried to keep it all on, you know. She's probably standing like that because they dragged her out of the house, right? And he says, my bride, where are your accusers? My princess, who accuses you? Then neither do I. You see how he sees us? Huh? He sees us. Like, that's how he sees us. No one has value for you. I have value for you. No one wants you. I want you. Huh? Say it with me. Nobody. Come on. Nobody. Like Jesus. And she says to him, no, Adonai. Adonai means overwatcher, means benefactor, protector, and provider. And Jesus is saying to her, no one watches over you. I will. I am your Adonai. No one takes care of you. I will. No one protects you. No one delivers you. No one shields you from the wind and the waves. I will. No one restores you. No one brings you back to life. I will. And he tells her, go a different way. Go and sin no more. See yourself as I see. Can you imagine if you're in that position, ladies? I just want to put this out there because I try to put myself in a dude, but I don't want to be using this word bride. But can you imagine that? You're coming out of this. You're unwanted. Probably all kinds of abuse and abandonment, rejection, whatever, for a woman to be in that position. She's helpless. She's probably clinging on to somebody who has money. She's probably giving herself to this guy in hopes that he'll do a favor for her so that she, she you, know, you know what I'm saying? There's probably another motive why she's committing adultery. We don't know that, but it may not just be, you know, some urge. And so she's there. She's abused. She's abandoned. She's neglected. And the Lord calls her bride. Would you walk away from that not re remembering those words? Would you remember that? You'd be like, Jesus called me bride. Jesus called me princess. Yeah? It's the warm, enduring tone of woman. Bride, princess, same kind of concept, same connection point there. He tells her, don't sin anymore. See yourself differently. See as I see Go as I go. Don't stop going down these paths. Stop lowering yourself. Stop becoming what others want you to be. Stop seeing yourself as others see you to be. See yourself as I see you and go a different way. That's what he's telling her. Nobody like Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, we're going to give you an opportunity this morning to come and know him.
You're lost. Maybe you say, I'm a good person. We're about as self-righteous as these Pharisees are, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. Wages of sin is death. The gift of God is forgiveness and everlasting life. How do we receive this gift that Jesus came to give us? You must believe, say with me, believe in my heart and confess with my mouth. The Bible says if you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and he has risen from the dead, he will save you. He will forgive you. He will restore you. And he will set your life on a course of absolute redemption and transformation. The choice to follow is up to you, but he will translate you. He will move you out of condemnation and into forgiveness. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, I will come in. Jesus is knocking, but you have to open your heart. Not your head, your heart. Jesus comes in, and he does the rest. And Jesus changes the inner world because the inner world affects the outer world. You understand? So if you're here this morning, you're watching, I want to give you that opportunity. It's a 40-second prayer. All you got to do is open your heart and enjoy the ride and just say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you, and all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Hooah. We have a prayer team available for you if you need prayer. I'm going to dismiss you and pray over you. Join a team. Invite some people for Easter. Let's get some people saved, right? Let's start reaching Miami. And so let me bless you. May the Lord bless you.